Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Common Good Podcast. I'm Dan Dietrich, your host today. Last week, we spent some time with a new film called Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom. Uh, We did this live stream event. We had the director and the host with us on that live stream. And then we did like a watch event of the film. Great new film. Uh, And so we wanted to expand, give you kind of the director's cut of the interviews with the director and host. So we've got today Rasul Berry and Yaki Smith. Yaki is the director of the new documentary, Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom. Rasul is the host and the guide through the history of what is now a federal holiday. And this is a little blurb about the film. Uncover the deep spiritual significance of America's newest federal holiday with Rasul Berry. Guests include Opal Lee, who is considered the grandmother of Juneteenth, and Vote Common Good's own Reverend Michael Waters uh, makes an appearance. He kind of guides us through some of the history and the current significance of this date. Uh, We've got music from Lecrae and more. It's emotional, evocative, inspirational, and educational. It is necessary viewing for groups and individuals interested in the history of Juneteenth and its vital intersection with the Christian faith. It's a really impactful documentary. Poetry and music woven throughout is very visual, very auditory. They record sounds from the different historical locations. So you really get a sense of being there and what it might have sounded like and felt like some 150 years ago when news finally reached the final enslaved people in Texas that they were free and the Union Army came to enforce that freedom to liberate them and uh, so it's a, a beautiful and also a troubling history you know it forces us to reckon with the uncomfortable parts of our past uh, but it also points us to a more hopeful future if you're concerned with things about justice and uh, moving forward to a more holistic future as a country where people truly are free uh, it's a it's a must view. So we're going to dig into an interview with uh, the director and the host. And uh, this is Doug Paget with Yaki Smith and host Rosal Berry. So enjoy this interview. So the film is Juneteenth, uh, Faith and Freedom. Uh, people are invited to watch it now. We're going to be watching it now together, of course. Rasul, t- tell us about what got you into this project and you know you serve as the host of this thing what what is it that that brought you uh into this project and and are you know we're willing to give all your time and energy to this yeah so you know i think a few years ago uh definitely as just kind of what's described as a racial reckoning and just you know uh, emerged and I, I had heard about juneteenth before but then when that kind of converge with hearing the story of Miss Opal Lee, this, you know, 90 something year old woman that was, you know, just still being an activist and bringing awareness. It was very inspiring. And it uh, and then kind of digging more into the story of of the holiday um, and hearing the case made for why it should be nationally recognized. um, It just really struck me as something that was an important moment to uh, reflect on and to celebrate as a nation, mm-hmm. both the end of slavery and also the you know problematic nature of how Juneteenth revealed a resistance to freedom, mm-hmm. that uh, strong resistance of on behalf of enslavers. And, um, and so that was kind of a starting point. And then when I discovered that um, one of the early names of, Ju- of Juneteenth was Jubilee Day, 
um, then my mind just kind of like really, you know, just started firing on all these spiritual insights about what it meant to for these uh, emancipated folk to see themselves in the story of scripture and say in the same way that God, you know, kind of ordained this moment of, mm. you know, celebration around emancipation and not just physical emancipation, but Jubilee Day was the whole, it was a whole enchilada of social, economic, um, spiritual renewal and, 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 and restitution and all of those things. Um, man, I thought that's such a powerful lens through which to help the church think about, um, you know, the holistic nature of the kingdom of God. And so, you know, we started to work on a devotional booklet uh, with our daily bread. That's what we are known for and that's what we do. And right. so we did that. And um, but when I started talking to uh, one of our partners, uh, Lisa Fields from the Jew three project, which is a essentially a, a black apologetics uh, organization. Hmm. Um, she threw out the idea of maybe telling the story visually. And um, and we joke now that she kind of said that in passing and just kind of kept it moving. So when I called her a few months later, like we got the approval to do the project. She was like, what project? And, uh, and so um, I'm like the one that you suggested that we do. So that was kind of um, how it happened. And the rest and then the key moment was really uh, being able to connect with Yaki and uh, as a director and beginning to work with him and that's really where things took off and i mean the time frame was amazing we met in february um shot in march to early april edited in may and put it out in june mm -hmm. um which is just an extraordinary turnaround and uh, but it's and i think god's hand was on it from the beginning so it's, it's i'm really excited for the project and 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 to see now other people get to experience it and, and hear the story too yeah, Yaki, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that that piece of it. For you as a director, right, you're storytelling and you're having to do it, not just in the way the script is put together and the communication, but the entire project of it. H how much did you, growing up, know about Juneteenth yourself? Like, is this something you've had sort of been inhabited in your life as, you've, uh, as you were growing up? Or did you, were you discovering things about, about this new national holiday yourself as you were, you know, task with being the director of such a powerful film? Well, it's both, right? So first and foremost, you know, Juneteenth has always played a huge part in my life. You know, ever since I can remember, honestly, we celebrated Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. We had the parades, the barbecues, the picnics, the church services, just the whole shebang. Um, and so for me, when I would encounter somebody who didn't know what Juneteenth was, I was like, what you mean you don't know what Juneteenth is? Because I just thought everybody knew what Juneteenth was. Mm -hmm. And so when Rasu came to me, you know, and said, hey, we, we want to make this film. Like, yeah, I want to make this film, too. Because for one, there are too many people that don't know what Juneteenth is. And two, it's another way for me to celebrate and honor my ancestors, which is what mm -hmm. we've been doing again my entire life. It's a way to get their story out. It's a way for us to tell their story through their lens. Because a lot of times people tell these narratives and they don't get the facts right. And they're telling them from a very different perspective than what we're gonna tell the narrative. And so for me, it was very important to get involved in this because I feel like I'm giving a gift to my state, right? I'm giving a gift 
to the United States of America, because again, this is a new federal holiday. And I know even now people are like, what, Juneteenth federal holiday, what is that? They're still discovering that. Right. And so this is really a way to allow them to be educated on what Juneteenth is so they can understand why it's important to celebrate and also so they can participate in it and not feel like it's just that thing that we do in Texas. Yes, it is that thing we've been doing in Texas, but it's important for all of us collectively as people in the United States. And so for me, when Ross came to me, I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. Yeah. And, and Yucky, you're a, you're a filmmaker and you're also, uh, do I have this right? You're the Dean of, uh, let me read it right, of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the Moody College of Communication at the University of Texas at Austin. That was one long title. Um, it was. Associate Dean, but yes. that's, that's Associate Dean. Uh, you're a filmmaker, though, at heart, right? And so, of course, you're going to do administration and be a professor and, and all. Was there something about this story that, for you as a filmmaker, really uh, captured you that you thought, okay, this is important to communicate. A lot of people don't know about it. And a lot of people watching this with us tonight, they're going to be thinking, yeah, I didn't know what Juneteenth is. In fact, I'm around a lot of white people. And we sort of say it quietly that we didn't know what Juneteenth was, right? It's kind of embarrassing. Like, I, I don't know. And like, maybe I heard of it, but I thought it was like Kwanzaa or something. Like, just no real personal connection to it. Was there something about the the story that you thought, hey, this is really going to work for people who should know what, what this is about and for people who already know what it's about? You know, I think a as we begin to sort of cast the film, right, meaning that we begin to reach out to folks, get them to agree to be interviewed, there were certain people when I saw that they agreed that I was like, yes, they're going to be the ones to really help us tell this narrative in a compelling way, in a new way. Sharon Gillen's for one, right? Um, historian, genealogist, the whole nine, who really understands this history very intimately, right? And can tell this history in a way, again, that you've not heard. Sam Collins, for example, again, somebody who took us to a plantation, right? And literally walked us through what life was like on that plantation. These are not things that you have the opportunity to experience. And these are not people that you have the opportunity to interact with on a daily basis which is why I think we got a lot of the facts wrong, because we're not talking to people who are knowledgeable about the holiday, knowledgeable about the history of Texas, knowledgeable about the history of black folks in Texas. And so for me, when I knew that those individuals were going to be involved and I began to research who they were, I was like, that's the thing that really excites me. Because, again, we're going to be giving people information that I feel like, to be honest with you, has been not only used as a weapon against us, because I'm thinking about Texas history books. Mm -hmm. This history is so warped in those stories. They didn't know that they were supposed to be free. The people in Texas didn't realize, right? There's all of these sort of falsehoods that you hear that are actually passed down from generation to generation, also passed down from teacher to pupil. And so mm -hmm. I think what this film does is it looks a lot of those myths. And it also, again, tells a full retelling of this history, again, from the people who descend from those who lived it. And so for me, there's a lot of things, but I think those individuals really excited me. Hmm. So, so Rasul, for, for people who know that there's now a ho holiday called Juneteenth, maybe they've heard, oh, it's when the story of the emancipation of slaves became more public. That's what they know. Can you just give a quick recap of sort of the multi-year history that it took for our nation to begin to come to grips with the abolition of slavery? Because I feel like we're still actually trying to figure out what that means. And in some ways it feels like the whole nation 
still hasn't gotten the message. Um, but but the, yeah. the actual story wasn't told to the whole country at the same time like we would sort of expect something like this to happen today. Yep. Yeah. And I, I can speak indefinitely from the standpoint of being I was born and raised in Philadelphia, which many people know is the kind of main center point of the Underground Railroad uh, activity of the Quakers, who were the early, you know, kind of abolitionist writing and, you know, uh, you know, act, you know, acting to end slavery. So like the Gradual Abolition Act of 1780 was like when the law first put into the uh, play in Pennsylvania, a gradual abolition. So it did, wow. didn't, wasn't instantaneous, but within a 15 year period, definitely 80 years before, you know, the, uh, you know, civil war breaks out, slavery ends in Pennsylvania. And so, um, when in our own, my own understanding of history and what I was taught in school was that the emancipation proclamation, uh, that came into effect January 1st, 1863 was the end of slavery in the country. Right. And then, uh, to discover, well, actually, that's not really the case. Um, and I think the particulars of the history of understanding, well, first of all, 1863 is right in the middle of the Civil War. It's not like this, the, the Confederate states read Lincoln's you know, emancipation and go, oh, wow. the president whom we're rebelling against tells us right. we need to, you know, end slavery. So, OK, like, no, that was the whole point to, to dig in. And so... What does end up happening is, you know, and one of the um, uh, folks in the documentary, uh, Dr. Carrie Lattimore, who says that, you know, basically it transforms the union forces into a freedom force, you know, uh, which is before they were just about keeping the union together regardless, you know, but now it's like, okay, repurposed or clarified in this vision and to end slavery. And so, but that only goes as far as its troops can allow it to go. Um, and so that takes a while to get to Texas. But the other thing that um, I learned in the context of the doing a documentary was because at one point people asked, well, why are we celebrating something that happened in Texas? But the reality is so many slave uh, enslavers moved and migrated to Texas to avoid that union freedom force that Texas ends up becoming almost like this epicenter of people who were really so committed to slavery that they would move from Virginia, from Alabama, from Georgia to Texas to be in this kind of bastion, this last stronghold of, of slavery. And so, um, and so Juneteenth acknowledges the day that uh, General Gordon Granger and troops, many of whom, the majority of whom were black troops, which is significant, uh, arrived in Galveston, Texas, which at that point was the Dallas of its day. It was the biggest city. It was the, and, and of course, a lot of that bigness had to do directly with the wealth that it got from the cotton and rice and a lot of the agriculture that came on the backs of slaves. And so when these troops arrive, they came in mass, and as uh, Sharon Gillen says so profoundly in the film, they did not come to inform, they came to enforce. And that's a big misnomer that oftentimes, mm -hmm. you know, uh, gets out there and that Yaki alluded to, that this idea that, um, and it's so strange when you really stop to think about it, when people say it was the day that, like, enslaved people found out that they were were free, it's like, well, wait a minute, why would they, would they know even matter? It's not like the 
you know, they were just staying there by their own will. No, it was the day that the union was able to enforce the Emancipation Proclamation. And still, even though that doesn't end slavery in the country, because states that didn't secede from the union, like Kentucky or Delaware, um, they still had slaves. And it's not until months later when the 13th Amendment is ratified that you really can see a, a kind of total abolition experience. However, there is something very significant about the particular stronghold, that place where the Confederacy had dug in its heels and said that we're owning these people and other people had gone to, to migrate there to say we're going to enslave these people. It's something about the, sig the significance of that place, that mm -hmm. stronghold being demolished that I think gives us an opportunity as a nation to reflect on the significance of the end of slavery as, as, as a nation. This is a film that in a lot of ways is visual, but it's also, uh, it's a soundtrack, right? You hear voices, you hear storytelling, like, you know, all filmmakers remind you that 50% of film or whatever is, is the sounds that you hear. Can you talk a bit about the soundtrack and the music and the quotes and the things that, you know, when people watch the film, they're going to be experiencing, but not, might not always know to pay attention to and, and to notice? Yeah, I mean, I can start off. And this is why he has to talk about this, because as we were editing this thing, he would always be like, ah, we got to get some more sound. We got to, you know, pull out the story. So he had a very great way, vision yeah. and perspective on that. So, well, it, it, it shows it's really it's really quite stunning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, from the beginning, it was very important, not only for us to sort of see what was happening on screen, but for us to feel right, that history as we are sort of hearing people retell it to us. Um, there's a great moment, for example, where we are looking at uh, these sort of sugar bowls, right, where people would actually go in and refine sugar, and that's what they did on the plantation. And it's a beautiful shot where we're coming off of the sugar bowls and we're just kind of coming up and we're getting higher and higher in the air, and the camera is sort of spinning around. It's very disorienting. And we decided, you know what, let's put the voice of someone who actually experienced this trauma over that shot. And throughout the piece, I was always thinking about this idea of like, what can we do to make sure that people feel like they are living in and walking with and actually experiencing what these individuals experience? There's a difference, again, between hearing somebody actually talk about history, but also if you're there and you're feeling history, it's a completely different experience. And so for me, throughout the whole thing, I was always wondering, like, OK, where are those moments where we can put, again, sounds of former slaves, which we have some great audio um, sounds where we can actually create soundscapes of war, soundscapes of people working, soundscapes. They talk about sort of the blaze of fire that these people are working under as they're refining the sugar. How do we get the blaze of sound, the sound of water, the sound of a boat coming through, the sound of a ship, the sound of feet walking on the shore, all of those things are so important, again, because I think it allows the audience into the sort of psychological headspace of someone who endured this pain and this trauma. Um, and yeah, so throughout the whole piece, I know I sat down and I actually charted out what sounds I wanted at each moment. And then in collaboration with the editors, right, we went back and forth. Some of the sounds I found didn't work. So they found other sounds that mirrored the ones that I wanted. Some of the sounds they had didn't work. So I went online and found other sounds. And so it was just a collaboration throughout the entire piece. But from the beginning, we knew that the soundtrack, right, what you heard yeah. and what you hear was going to play just as much of a sort of narrative arc as what you actually see on screen. Hmm. 
And I will add one other piece to that. When I think about the soundtrack from the standpoint, we do have an album that is coming out as well uh, that um, features uh, Lecrae, uh, but was very much as the main person contributing is Show Baraka, uh, who's an artist who's long integrated faith and justice and social commentary and uh, was one of my favorite artists. And so it was amazing that he signed on to do this. And um, and so we're going to have the first full album that's kind of committed to uh, telling the story explicitly of Juneteenth in a variety of ways. Hip hop, uh, gospel, poetry um, is all kind of in the mix. And uh, and so we're excited about that, too. And I just want to add something to that yeah, real quick. Like, I, I have to say that Rasu really sort of curated all of that music, which mm-hmm. I thought was excellent and was bringing that music. Even when we were shooting, you already had some of that music. And so then afterwards, we kept getting more and more music, and it was just a matter of figuring out where that music fit in. But I so appreciated that Rasu had already been thinking about, okay, I want this kind of maybe hip-hop soundtrack mixed with this and these spirituals and sort of these blues and just finding a way to uh, link the past and the present. And I think the music really helps to do that just as much as the, the, the overall storyteller. Yeah, it's it, it definitely has a has a power to it in the way that the that the music uh, lays in, and I was glad to see that there's resources that go along with this film, discussion guides, uh, devotional books. Which for people that don't know what that is, in some traditions you get little material that you spend time with each day, and right, it's often called a devotional. So a devotional book is put together, and albums and like a soundtrack that you get for it, because you all really see this as not just a film, right? You see it as a, as a piece of communication o- overall that's, that's more than just the hour and 15 minutes that someone's going to spend watching. Is that right? Yeah, I'll just say real quick, I, I look at it as an opportunity for us to think through what do we do with this day, right? For those who weren't raised in the great state of Texas and understand just kind of intrinsically what you, know, what you do on Juneteenth, we thought we would, or even those who do, like we can contribute to information to inspiration and to uh really also telling a very important faith lesson which is that you know the historical context of what happens to us as a people actually matters to god Mm -hmm. like you know and and so this idea of freedom being something that happened and the funny thing is it's in our faith tradition already like thanksgiving you can't find chapter and verse in the bible to point to (laughs) thanksgiving or mother's day or Father's Day, you know what I mean? But we just have those things where we know that these moments reflect a certain value or a certain principle or a certain um, you know, vision of what we want to be true that we come al- along and do that. And so I think that hopefully these resources can help people uh, experience that. Yaki, were you gonna say something else about that? Rasu got it, but I'll just add this, this one thing. I, mean, I think for me, although I have celebrated this holiday, as I said, for as long as I can remember, there was so much that I was learning along the way as we were putting this film together. And it made me want to even go back and learn more about my own family history, right? Mm. And I hope that when people watch this, that they understand that if you do not know the past and you do not honor the past, right, that you are going to be forced to repeat it. And I feel like that's why we are where we are now, to be honest with Mm -hmm. you. Because we refuse to have these real conversations about what slavery was. What did it mean to actually hold someone in bondage? What did it mean to come one day and say you're free, yet free to do what? Free to go where? 
free to build what and how am I going to do that? And I think it's so important for us to go back after you watch this film and mind your own family history. Go talk to your grandma, your great grandma, if she's still around, because if we don't get this history now, at some point we will never be able to access it because mm -hmm. the people who have the history still, they're not getting any younger. And so I hope again that after you watch this film that you go and you sit down, you watch it with your family, and then you all start talking about your own history and you start doing, you know, just writing those things down so that you can begin to pass those down to your children and your children's children. Yeah, that's that's really well said. You know, I, I think about, you know, I'm in I'm 55 years old, and so when I was a, I don't know, a high school age person, the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday became a national holiday, and it was argued about and fought over. And it felt like a long time ago, right? When I was 15 years old, you know, in the 1980s, like that is so long ago. But the period between his life and that stage is less than the period between that stage and where I am now. So it doesn't feel like it was it was that long ago. And there's a way in which some people can say like, because I know for a lot of at least white people that I know, the shorthand for Juneteenth is, well, that's the national holiday that we, where we celebrate the end of slavery. Like they don't even know about the movement of the message or the troops having to come and so on. But they're just thinking, okay, it's the end of, like we have a day now where we recognize that. We recognize the end of end of slavery. And I'm sure for a lot of people, they feel like, well, it's a little late for that. And also, that just feels like a really long time ago. Can you talk a bit about that? Okay. Yeah, please. Man. So. Yeah, that, you know, and this is where talking to people who know their history and, and like Yaki alluded to, it was really amazing and inspiring to see how much people, everyone that we talked to in Texas that was connected with this holiday, they, they could just tell you you know, uh, from memory, uh, the details, but specifically I'll give you one example of, um, the, uh, family we spoke to the McElroy's, uh, uh, Jacqueline McElroy, uh, who is the, um, and Jacqueline, um, Bostic, Bostic. who Jacqueline Bostic is the great granddaughter of Reverend Jack Yates, who, hmm comes into Houston and helps essentially is one of the founders of Freedmanstown that gets established in Houston when Houston is just 30 years old as a city as a, in in general and and Freedmanstown becomes this first hub of the black community in in Texas of them being free and building something for themselves there this was her great grandfather her her grandfather you know Reverend Yates's son is a you know, becomes a journalist and writes about lynching that's happening across the state and across the country and becomes one of the first black printing press. Um, and, and so there's a museum, Rutherford B.H. Yates, uh, Rutherford B.H. Yates Museum that we went to and filmed that and told the story. Well, now we're talking about the person who had her on her knee when she was, you know, just a child telling the story of his father who was in who was emancipated during Juneteenth. So then when you get to her and she's talking about her involvement and in helping to create Emancipation Park, you know, uh, Recreation Center and the things that they're doing today, she's connecting that right back to the work of her grandfather, and her great grandfather and the legacy mm -hmm. of their family. And so those were the stories that we were hearing that we're talking about just a few generations ago. And then when you start talking about Miss Opal Lee, 
who, you know, who's, you know, kind of awareness and the significance of Juneteenth and, and kind of telling the story goes back to the, you know, when her family's house was bombed for being in a, you know, white neighborhood that they didn't, you know, and basically kind of terrorized to, to leave that, that she's 95, you know what I mean? And so if you think back about what her parents and grandparents were, I mean, you're right there um, in that same period. And so, so yeah. And, the, and then if you, just the last part I'll add, if you take into the full account of how many years um, that Africans and people of African descent were in slavery in the country, and you add, you know, 250, 300, 400 years yeah. from starting from the 1600s, you know, uh, then it's like, well, this in the context of our American experience, right, from 1600s to 1865. Is not you know, and then going from eighteen sixty five to twenty twenty two, it's not that's still a, a, a much smaller window of time than the fuller yeah. since. So there's a, so that's a part of our national story that really needs to be told. But more importantly, as you watch the film, you'll see how it's a living history that people are still living with right now. Just to to add on to that, I think we have to always acknowledge that we are still living with the vestiges of all of that trauma. Yeah. There still it's still with us. Right. And, you, you know, you, you see it in, in the way in which <laughs> we treat each other. Right. I mean, when you think about a white young man who decides he's going to go literally drive hours to find a black grocery store to gun down black people. He didn't just go into a random grocery store. He chose that store. Right. We're still living through that. That means that he saw those people as subhuman. Mm-hmm. He didn't think that their lives mattered. He didn't think that they should be on the earth. And that comes from a place of hate, right? And that hate stems back from slavery, stems back from Jim Crow, stems back from all of these things that we've been dealing with. And so, yeah, yeah some people look at that and say, oh, it's been a hundred some years. That's nothing yeah. to your point, Russell. You know, when you look at our American experience, 150 years is nothing compared to how long we've been here. And to be honest with you, yeah, that was 155 years ago, I think, you know, when you think about 1865, I think 155 years, I forget how long, but still ain't talked about again, Jim Crow. Right. You still ain't talked about, um, you know, reconstruction. You still ain't talked about all the things that we've been dealing. I mean, to be honest with you, I'll never forget. I was I was doing a photo shoot at the Majestic Theater in San Antonio and I was sitting down on the bottom and my mom pointed up and she said, you see up there? And I'm looking. I couldn't even see it. She says way up there. That's the balcony. And my mom's 65. That's the balcony that I had to sit in when I was a kid and we would come here to watch. Yeah. That ain't that long ago. My mom only 65, right? And so we got to remember these things are not that far removed. And if we continue to act like that happened so long ago, so people need to get over it again, we're going to keep repeating it over and over again. Yeah. And there's little pieces of our story that we have to remind, you know, the many Southern Baptist churches have balconies because that's where enslaved people would sit. That's why there were balconies built because they wouldn't allow them to be on the same level with the white parishioners and so that architect architecture remains and the separations also remain but if we don't tell that story what was that intended for and you all do a great job in the film of showing these artifacts right of chains that people would would have worn or the like you say you know the sugar bowl where they're where they're having to grind the sugar and these physical artifacts the fact that someone still has their hands on those things it, it somehow I don't know, draws you in to realize, okay, it's, it's, this is not the, 
history is not the past, right? History is also the, the, the current moment that we're in. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like, you know, I'll say this, you know, you asked me earlier what moment really like touched me. And I've known Michael for a very long time. Uh, Pastor Michael Waters, I call him Michael. Um, and so we're sitting there and he starts pulling out all of this stuff. And I've been to his house. I've never seen any of this stuff. And so when he he's giving Rasul slave chains, he's giving Rasul chains from the auction block. He's giving them the manila bracelets, the thing that you actually bought a body with. He's literally standing in front of a KKK robe. He's showing us a book. I don't even think this made it. It didn't make it to the film. A book that young white children were taught to read with where they're calling us all kinds of ends, right? I'm not going to say the word, right? These things are still, when you say living history, he, the fact that he can still put his hand on them and he knows that history lets you know again that this stuff is not that far removed. Mm-hmm. And again, I think it's so important that we not only learn this history, but that we talk about this history openly. We can't keep talking about this stuff behind closed doors and we can't keep talking about it as though, again, it happened so long ago so it's no longer relevant. It's still relevant. And I hope that when people walk away from the documentary that they understand how relevant it is. Yeah, and I think it's really powerful who who talks about it, right? That, you know, in some communities, black communities, black faith communities, this is very well talked about. In white communities, it hasn't been. That brings me to the people at the organization Our Daily Bread being the ones who funded, produced, and made this possible. Everyone that I've talked to about this project in the last, you know, couple of weeks about its existence has said some version of the people at Our Daily Bread did this. Like, aren't they the ones that put the, so if they know of the organization, it's the people that have these little booklets that would sit outside the church and somehow got a staple in the middle of them. And they were just a fun, funny, you know, little booklet in a church. Which I've seen our daily breads, I don't know, for 30 years in my life. I don't ever remember reading anything in there about cultural issues, political issues, slavery. That just didn't seem like it was part of the conversation of what was in that material. I haven't kept up with it, so I can't say I speak for all of it. But I was a little surprised that our daily bread, and frankly, really glad because I think that the invitation from the people who run that organization will be very meaningful to people who follow Our Daily Bread and, and want to talk about this. Rasul, can, can you say a bit about that, uh, your, your own yeah. you know, thoughts yeah, on yeah. Our Daily Bread? Well, and- you know, it reminds me of the fact that you know my grandma, uh, she lived to be 101. She passed away last year, and uh, she uh, was well known for uh, her cooking. She was a caterer. And she loved to bake. And the thing that uh, that would always we would get into fights as a family whenever she would make fresh baked bread because everybody wanted to slice. And the thing about bread is that it's best when it's fresh and it's best when it's new and it's best when it's coming out the oven hot. And so I'm excited. The fact that, you know, our daily bread is recognized and has done a lot of the work internally for, you know, 10 years of establishing uh, an advisory board to, to really examine how do we make our mission is to make the wisdom of the Bible accessible to all. And um, and recognizing that that all was not was something that there was a great opportunity to expand on uh, here in the States. And but in order to do that, you had to expand the conversation. And so uh, Joyce Dinkins came up, uh, came on as the, the voices editor of uh, Voices is a 
um, imprint of our daily bread that really amplifies the voices of black content creators. Mm-hmm. And um, this is kind of voices. Uh, it's been around for about four years, creating content like uh, Black History Month devotionals mm-hmm. um, and now Juneteenth. And the space that has been allowed for us to kind of curate and cultivate our own voice and to kind of talk about uh, that has really been important. And I, you know, I really am grateful. Uh, and that was really what attracted me to kind of signing on as a content developer within our daily bread a year ago when I joined was the the opportunities that's there. And it's mm-hmm. not just this project. Um, I, you know, launched a podcast called where you're from uh, that looks at the intersection of faith and culture. And that um, really t- does it from the context of origin stories and to be able to lean into some of these conversations um, that are so important in some communities um, in order for even you to have any kind of relevance to what's to, to the faith conversation is you have to expand it to include the whole person. And so I'm grateful that our leadership has kind of seen seen that mm-hmm. and, um, and and run with that. And, and it kind of allowed us to um, to build this platform here because the wisdom of the Bible, I love that phrase, like God's wisdom yeah. is you know, uh, something that reaches every area of our lives, right? When you read the scriptures, it speaks to God hating uneven scales. That's talking about injustice. You know what I mean? That uh, mm-hmm. God, you know, cares about the the poor, the oppressed, those who are marginalized in our society. Um, and that's what this story is kind of elevating. We're centering those people and those stories so that we can reflect, you know, the full nature of what it means for us to um to live out a, a faith that integrates and understands what happens in our world through that lens. And so I'm really mm-hmm. grateful to be able to do that within our daily bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Key, anything to, anything to add about working with uh, our daily bread and, and their, their role in all this? Hey, I, I'm going to be very honest with you. When Rasul first approached me about this, a part of me was like, yep, I'm ready. And another part of me was like, wait a minute, what kind of Juneteenth story are we going to be able to tell? And I think I even asked Rasul that question. Because what I didn't want to do, right, is I didn't want to tell a sanitized version of the story. And the moment that I realized that the organization was really going to let us tell the story that we wanted to tell, I was like, okay, we're doing this. Even mm-hmm. after we shot, I have to be honest, when I started to look at edits, I was like, ooh, they're going to let us keep that in there? You know? <laughs> I wanted it in there, but I'm like, I think somebody's about to pull our coattails. But they didn't, right? Nobody really ever did. And and that, to your point, Rasu, I think it really speaks to where the organization is. And also, I think the organization understands that it has work to do. And I think this is part of doing that work, continuing to do that work, continuing to elevate those narratives of people that have not had the opportunity to really have their, 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 their stories told from their point of view. Um, because one of the things that we talk about when you watch the film and you see this we talk about how the scripture was misused, right? Yep. We talk about how it was used as a means to keep black folks docile, to keep them feeling like being slave, uh, being slaves was actually something that God had ordained and wanted for them, right? And so we know that there has been damage done through scripture. And mm-hmm. so I appreciate that an organization whose sort of goal and mantra has always been, again, to tell the truth about scripture. Yeah. has decided that they're going to exhume that narrative and tell that story from that perspective because that is going to help to undo a lot of the damage that has been done. Yeah, that's something I wanted to, to raise with you is that, you know, the subtitle of this is Faith and Freedom. And faith is a mixed relationship when it comes to slavery and always have. Uh, you do a great job in the documentary of showing how people 
of faith, the Christian faith using the Bible, were very aggressively trying to end slavery and create a world of uh, safety and freedom for for everyone, especially people who are brought to this country as slaves. But then the Bible is also used on the other side, uh, mm-hmm. and not just about slavery. This is true of a lot of uh, deep and impassioned cultural issues. Um, can you say something about your approach to that and how much weight you wanted to put on one side of that story compared mm-hmm. yeah. compared to the other? I'm sure that was a difficult uh, editorial and uh, you know uh, creative choice for you. You know, I'll, I'll speak. You know, on, on one end, we just wanted to get the story right, and especially. Um, in the black community context, I mean, that as this awakening, as this awareness of, you know, racial justice and the need for to speak into the ills of society have kind of emerged over the last, mm. you know, eight to 10 years, um, that you can't avoid it, nor should you. You know, we have to look back in the history and lean into it. And and actually, I feel like um, there's a line in one of my favorite rap songs, my, uh, where he talks about for the for the for the good news of the gospel to shine like diamonds, you have to put it on the black cloth of the evilness of humanity, right? And this is why when you go to a jeweler, you and they show you the diamonds, they put it on the black cloth. And and the black cloth that we wanted to show was the history that just actually exists that is in its structures and its language and its its you know, and that by doing so, and this is where a lot of you know, if I can say art done by Christians, some people might want to call it Christian art or whatever, gets it wrong because we want to sanitize and put the, you know, the diamonds on a diamond, you know, background. And it's just like, it just doesn't tell the story right. Um, And so to, I think, fully do it. And the thing is, I I love, you know, uh, one person, uh, Tim Keller says that Christianity has the resources within itself to actually deal with the issues of its misuse. I mean, Jesus was dealing with the religious leaders and the Pharisees and yeah. confronting them way farther than he was the the sinners and those who were outside of the church. And so um, that history, if you look at the prophets and false prophets and the Old Testament, that that tradition is part of our spiritual heritage and that we get to lean into that and tell the story boldly, because if we're not, then it's going to actually compromise our ability to say anything of importance because we're too, you know, trying to pull our punches or, 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 or try to make it to, and people can see through that, you know, we need to be authentic in the story that we tell. And I think Yaki did a great job of, I mean, he has a very unflinching style of, um, of storytelling that, that pulls you in and that makes you confront the hard things, the uncomfortable things, but does so in an artistic way. And I think that that really, um, is part of the reason why people have been so responsive to the film. Mm-hmm. Well, well, yeah, Key, uh, Rasul has suggested that you're in the prophetic tradition uh, and prophets were, they were prophetic because they were poetic, right? They were doing something artistic and they were trying to say something in an unflinching way. Do you see yourself that way as a filmmaker? And did you see yourself that way when you were directing this film that you had a particular role and had to, you know, steal your jaw to create that unflinching uh, perspective? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is just the approach I've always taken making art in general. And that is that as an artist, it is my duty to one, tell the truth and also not think about making you comfortable. Right. Because I think the problem with us is we get so comfortable and we want to be pacified and we don't want to hear the truth, which is why we don't see a lot of change happening. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And I always felt like my duty as a filmmaker was to begin those uncomfortable conversations, put you in a space where you had to have those uncomfortable conversations in order for us to move the needle forward on many issues. My favorite artist activist of all time is James Baller. He's back there somewhere. Yeah, there he is. And the reason I love James Baldwin is because of how flinching he was, was because of how unapologetic he was, was because of how unafraid he was to tell the truth, even Mm -hmm. when it got him ostracized, even when it got him put on all kinds of, you know, a list where people wanted to kill him, even when it got him jailed, even when his own people turned against him. He refused to turn away from the truth. And for me, that's what I want to do as a filmmaker, as an artist, and really just as a human. Because Mm -hmm. I think, again, if we don't do that, then we're going to continue these cycles of hate, Mm -hmm. these cycles of racism, these cycles of all kinds of isms that we have in the world because we refuse to have these uncomfortable conversations. So, yeah, I brought that same ideology into this film, right? I'll never forget, there was a moment that I loved where we were talking about white Jesus, right? And remember... Pastor McElroy was like, now, do you want me to, to tell a story this way or you want me to do the other? No, I want the truth, right? I want you to tell us the truth because, again, as they say, the truth will set you free. And it's no need in us making a film where it's all about us, you know, standing up, being, you know, happy, clapping, holding hands. That's a part of it. But another part of it is the educational piece and the piece that really helps to liberate us as a people. And that comes with just telling the unbridled, mm-hmm. un, you know, just the truth. Well, one of the things a lot of us have realized, or at least the people I hang around with as I've gotten older, is that Black History Month is American History Month. Like, there's not black history and American history. It, it is American history, right? This is That's the story of all of us. And I think it's important for people to watch this film not as an outsider saying, oh, it's going to be interesting to see what the story was of black Americans or enslaved Americans. In one sense, we're all of, you know, our DNA is all over this crime scene, all of us, right? This is, we're, we're all part of this and are beneficiaries and, um, you know, perpetrators of these, of these things because that's what we do. Because we have a tendency in our country to want to share our successes and act like on the 4th of July, it's a big grand we. And, you know, on Juneteenth say, well, that's what they did. And that's a curious thing that we just do. You know, it's a, it's a way we all, we all get along in the world. And I really hope people see all, all of our American his, history in this. Do, do you all have a, have a similar sentiment about this? Absolutely. Uh, go ahead, Yaki. I'll let you go. No, I was just about to say, yeah. I mean, the, the truth is, as I sort of alluded to earlier, the reason why these stories are mistold is because, as we know, the ones who win the battles are the ones who are able to tell the story. Yeah. Right? And so for so long... We've been on the losing side just straight up, right? We haven't been able to tell our own narratives. We haven't had the resources to tell our own narratives. We haven't had the, the 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 power to tell our own narratives. And every time we would do those, we would get shut down. Somebody else would come in and beat us to it. Hmm. And so I think it's so important, again, that when we look at a film like this, we understand first and foremost, again, we're telling this from the point of view of the people who lived hmm. it, right? Hmm. That's key. And then also, to your point, we all are in this. Again, I can't stand here and say to you that there is not white blood running through this black body because I would be lying to you, which means that you, my brother, you, my sister, all of us are together and we all together have to undo this thing. And that's the issue is we always want to give it to the ones who were oppressed to fix it. We can't always fix these issues because guess what? We didn't start the issue. 
Hmm. We got to work together to undo these things. Hmm. We got to work together to right these wrongs. And that's why it's so important. Again, I want all my black folks to watch this movie. I want us to be educated about this. I want us to celebrate. I want us to cry. I want us to laugh. I want all of that. But I also want my white people to watch this because I want you to understand as you just said, Doug, you are also a part of this narrative. It is your story just as much as it is mine. Absolutely. And I would just add to that, you know, it's funny, you mentioned, you know, how we have a tendency in America to make ourselves the center of the universe, you know, how uh, international people laugh that we call our our country championships world champions, right? And they're like, wait, our team that you know, our country didn't participate in the basketball, the baseball, the football. Why are you calling yourselves world champions? So so there's that centering that happens uh, of ourselves. And and I think that it also makes it hard for those who are in the center of that center, you know what I mean, who've mm-hmm. you know really the majority culture to really reorient themselves to see that actually I can't tell my story fully accurately without acknowledging and 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 lifting up the stories of other people who are part of this American experiment and who have always been part of this American experiment and who actually gave us the financial and social capital to even have an American experiment. Um, and that did so in, that, in such yeah, a way yeah. that are not all the great things that I want to uphold as the virtues that we are you know, uh, to the world. And again, if my faith precedes my civic national identity, then I have the resources from the faith standpoint to go back and critique the the national identity mm-hmm. standpoint and go, this is where we got things really, really, really wrong. And um, and how can I learn from that, pull from that and then look to move forward in such a way that. So I guess to put that as simple as possible is uh, I was in a panel discussion earlier today. Michelle Reyes was in it. Uh, she's a Indian American. So her family migrated. Um, and she said that, you know, but she lives in a black and brown community. And she said, you know, as an immigrant, it was really helpful for me to understand this story because it connected with my family story. My family was forcibly moved from India to Uganda to work, you know what I mean, when the British Empire, you know, was over all of that and 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 they were participated in that process. And that was part of our family story. And there was pain there, any kind of forced relocation and, and labor situation. And that's part of the story of colonialism. And so she could see this story that was happening as an immigrant and value it in the country, even though that wasn't her personal uh, story as well. And I think that that's the same thing that we want to be able to do across our nation to kind of lean in and empathize mm-hmm. with those stories of others, but especially the people with whom, without whom you can't even talk about, you know, the American dream because it was literally, you know, built on the, the, the commerce and the agriculture and the, and the infrastructure that was set up from those very people. And so I think the more we can lean into that, and that's uncomfortable. That's not all. And so it's not all happy. Yeah. It's it's lament and it's joy. And you know where I get to get help with knowing how to do lament and joy? In Romans 15, where it says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Mm. And, and Juneteenth gives us the opportunity to do both. Thank you for that. Uh, do, do you have a, your own take on why it took until 2021 for the federal government to respond to making Juneteenth a f- federal holiday. People were asking for it for a long time, and it happened um, in 2021. Do you, do you have a sense of that? I, I, I'm going to give you my take on that. Please. 
So George Floyd is killed in May of 20, I believe. Do I have this right? Yeah, May 25th, 2020. Um, And you start to see, right, for that moment, acts of solidarity that you have not seen in ages, actually. I mean, being a professor on campus, I saw people start initiatives. I saw offices get built that had to do with either social justice or diversity. I saw things that had been stalled for years actually happen because there was that window, right? I always say this to people. There was a there was about a six or seven month window where you could almost get anything done. And then slowly you started to see it do this. And I told people this. I'll never forget telling somebody this in June of 2020. If you want something, you better start asking for it now. Because right now, right, people want to give because to see that man murdered, right, on your television set, and we're all at home in the middle of a global pandemic, and you're watching it over and over and over and over again, it hit in a very different way than anything else that had happened, actually, because people are there and they're watching. And we all felt a sense of isolation already. And so I feel like coming together for that thing made us feel a sense of solidarity again that we hadn't felt. My point in saying that is that just like you saw a lot of initiatives get greenlit on college campuses in corporations, I really believe that that moment, right? You can't go to the White House and ask for Juneteenth after that happens and it not happen. That's just true. After you said it on TV, you go and you, mm-hmm. you, you've been, as, as long as she's been advocating for this holiday, Opal mm-hmm. Lee I'm talking about, and many others, but I, I'm putting her at the forefront of this, been advocating, 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 but all of a sudden, and that has everything to do again with the fact that I just feel like that was a moment of opportunity. It was a moment where there was some guilt going on and there was a moment where people felt like we could help to right these wrongs. And I, in my opinion, that's where this comes from. Hmm. Yeah, and I think um, if I could borrow from the prophetic tradition and the scripture again, and specifically talking about, you know, in Isaiah, when he talks about your fast and your celebrations that I despise, mm-hmm. but just what I really want you to do to break the yoke of oppression and injustice. And while I definitely celebrate, and I think that there's a great opportunity for our nation to reflect and to rejoice um, over not just the end of slavery of what happened in 18, you know, 1865, but the ongoing. So in the film, we don't end the story in 1865. We yeah, keep the yeah. story going because the story kept going. Um, and what I, I think is a danger is that these symbolic efforts and these symbolic, you know, uh, gestures can replace actual work that mm-hmm. needs to be done and say, oh, well, look, we gave you this holiday, so don't ask us for anything else, as opposed to mm-hmm. a recognition to say that this marking of time is actually best served as a moment to uh, of sobriety and of recommitment, just similar to Black History Month. You know, when you look at what I Carter G. Woodson starts Negro History Week, you know, first mm-hmm. and, you know, about 100 years ago, and then which becomes Black History Month, it was to galvanize and to mobilize a, a, a retelling of history to correct mm-hmm. 
a false telling of history where he's at Harvard University he's sitting under the foremost historian of the time and he's and the the historian that this professor tells him black people don't have history and that's what gets him going was saying that is not true I know the history of the, of my people because I've been living it and so I have to hmm. kind of challenge this arcane and backward notion with a real retelling but it was never meant to be uh mm. the only moment that we actually reflect on the contributions yeah. in the story it was meant to be a a mobilizing moment to say okay now with this springboard let's the 11 the rest of the 11 months look to tell the fuller version of history based on the things that we've learned and experienced in february and so i think in the same way with juneteenth you know, and this is why I'm glad that the soundtrack isn't coming out until after Juneteenth, because it's like people are like, oh, well, we did that. No, 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 no. That's not the point. The point isn't just to turn, yeah. keep it moving after June 19th on June 20th. The point is to keep the uh, vision alive, to keep the imagination alive about what it is that God is wanting us to do today mm -hmm. in 2022 in light of the fact that what Juneteenth tells us is that you know, which Frederick Douglass said, without struggle, there can be no progress. Like the, 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 in order for us to see progress continually, we have to still in, involve ourselves in struggle. Yeah, well, boy, that, that is so powerful. I, I live in Minneapolis, so just a few miles from where George Floyd was murdered. And it's a neighborhood that I've spent a lot of time in. And my experience and his experience in the neighborhood were radically different because of how we are accepted and, and engaged in our society. And you think about, the possibility of that moment never being captured. If a 17-year-old girl doesn't decide to take out her cell phone and to record and doesn't then reach out to an activist on Facebook who then calls the chief of police, who then says, no, we think everything's fine, and then the girl sends the video, and th then there's a whole piece of history that none of us ever hear about. And, you know, if the story in Galveston, Texas, isn't preserved by people and held on to and advocated for for a hundred plus years until people can start advocating for it, we, we never find out about it. And that's the thing that's so haunting about history and why your documentary is important to me is it reminds us that there's other pieces of our history that we're also not telling that people don't know about because They've been hidden or weren't captured in a way that could be shared. And so it's almost like it's a cautionary tale as well as a successful narrative, right? Because you can't really watch this film and come away and think, well, you know, in the end, it all works out pretty well for America. I mean, you know, good for us. We, you know, in the end, we, we, we tend to do the right thing. You just say to yourself, boy, a couple of things that could have gone the other way, you know, an election of 1865 or a battle here or there or a story that wasn't told or a cell phone video that wasn't taken or or shared. And you really wonder what else we would have known about. And it can, you know, I, for me as a person of faith, it sort of drives me to, boy, I, you know, I hope there's something else guiding this universe than just these happenstances. Um, but it does make a person wonder sometimes pretty deeply. Yeah, it's... Yeah. it's uh it's interesting. I think it's Sadia Hartman who said, care is the anecdote to violence. And I think for, for me, when I think about what it means to actually care, right? One, caring is, as we keep saying, is telling the truth, right? Because if you really care about me, you can't lie to me, right? If you really care about me, you can't stand in my face and try to further your agenda without thinking about how you furthering your agenda actually affects me negatively. And ultimately, another thing we got to think about is how it's going to affect you. Because... I think it was James Baldwin who said, yeah, you know, 
I'm hurting now, but guess what? Ultimately, we're all going to be hurting. And what he was talking about is when you think about like racism, racial violence, and all these things, it's coming back for all of us because we are all really one body. So if you don't care about me, right, you're deciding to put violence even on your own person at some point. Mm. Because if you don't care about me, at some point, guess what? I got to brush against your daughter, your son, your grandkids. Mm -hmm. And again, if you got me out here, I'm hungry, I'm destitute, I'm uneducated, right? I can't get the things that I need. Ultimately, we're all going to suffer because of that. And so for me, this is all about caring for each other, about telling the stories, about making sure that we understand again that whatever you do to someone else will come back to, to haunt you. And also, as people of faith, like we got to understand there is no way that you can say that you are a Christian and you can turn around and hate me. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense at all. Same way with you. I can't say that I'm a Christian and turn around and hate you. I may hate some of your actions. I may hate some of the things that you have done to me. I may hate some of your ways, but I cannot hate you. Mm -hmm. And so I think what we see is that we have to make sure that we understand that the first way in which we begin to repair this damage is to care for one another. Because if we do not care, again, we are wielding violence on not only ourselves, yeah. but everyone else around us. And mm -hmm. so I would hope that when people leave this documentary, that again, they start looking at me differently. They start looking at themselves differently. They start looking at their history differently. And they start looking at the story of America differently. And they start telling the truth. Because again, the truth is the thing that's gonna set us all free. Yeah. Amen. Well, well said. All right. Anything else uh, that you that you want to say that I haven't asked about, or you think hey, this would be an important piece to uh, to include? I just would, you know, I'll just do the plug um, for you know the resources uh, the, to sign up for the ten day reading plan. Uh, you know, you can also get the film on uh, Juneteenth. Dot Experience Voices, all one word, experiencevoices. org, org. Uh, eventually, when the um, music comes out, which we start releasing singles on June 24th from Show Baraka. I'm really excited uh, for that. Uh, you can also find it, you know, on that um, site as well. And, um, you know, follow us on social media uh, at Experience Voices or uh, at Rasul Berry on most, uh, you know, Twitter, Rasul B on uh, Instagram. And, um, and I have links in my bio and different things for all the different mm -hmm. resources that we've uh, created and curated for this as well. And uh, so, yeah, um, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to uh, have us on. Um, yeah, this was actually really cool. Like Yaki and I haven't had a chance to do this kind of a forum since we finished the film, uh, uh -huh. you know, yet. So this is an exclusive. Oh, um, right on. Know. Wait, <laughs> but, wait you, uh, make a, you make a good pair. You should do this more often. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Key, any of your stuff you want to share that people can be sure to find you? Yeah, I mean, you you know, just I, I'm going to just plug the film again. I mean, watch the film. It's it's important. Share it. Tell everybody watch it. And know that, as Rasul said, right, watch it after June 19th. Keep watching it. <laughs> and then keep bringing it up every Juneteenth, right? This is a film that is going to last for years to come. It ain't just about June 19, 2022, right? Yeah. We're going to be talking about this in 2025. We're going to be talking about this in 2035 because I think that this film, again, is living history. So just keep watching it. And uh, you can find all, you know, all my stuff. I'm, I'm on social media as well, Yaki80 on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And also just go to my website, ExodusFilmWorks.com. 
That's really great. Thanks, guys. I, I certainly appreciate it. I think people are really going to benefit. It's going to help them to feel connected to the story and, um, and to share it. Yeah, well, thanks for having Thank us you. again. It was a lot of good. And, uh, you know, we'll definitely hopefully stay in touch. Yeah, Next time yeah I'm for sure we will. Apple. All right. Okay, thanks, guys. Yeah, take care. All right. Bye. Oh, that was great. Yeah, again, the film is called Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom. We'll have uh, links to it in the show notes. And I believe in the live stream right now, you can uh, just click that link and head over to YouTube and watch the uh, the whole film. It's really great. And man, I'm so excited about the soundtrack coming out uh, at the end of the month in just a few days, really. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Big thanks to Yaki and to Razul for... Uh, for spending time with us sharing this film and for putting it out into the world it's such a needed thing for us to reckon with our past and celebrate the heroes of the past and also move forward from some of the darker points in our past and so i really encourage you to check out the film and uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another interview from uh, reverend dr michael waters who is featured in the film uh, we interviewed him. Uh, he's a part of the Vote Common Good world. So we're really excited to share that interview tomorrow. Uh, so stick around for that. We'll see you then. And uh, until then, have a great one.